Sweet. And this is uh, another episode of Startup Mindset's podcast. Today we have Stephanie Pendley. Um, she is a, I would like to call her a TikToker, but may <laughs> offend her. But um, she is a super co- uh, great content creator. She makes content around, you know, b- building your own personal brand and, you know, growing your own business and marketing tips and any anything from mindset to uh, quitting a company like Google. And um, yeah, I just stumbled about, uh, on her content and was like, wow, this person's like, really good at making content i have to like talk to her and you know pick her brain about this stuff and then uh today we're going to be welcoming her on to the show so steph happy to have you here on Star mindsets thank you for having me on i'm so excited and i'm glad that you liked my content and also not at all <laughs> not at all offended by tiktoker I'll, i wear it as a badge of honor <laughs> sweet it's so crazy to think about tiktok just like how can something reinvent like careers in such a crazy magic way right especially when i started on there in um august or september of 2020 it was even easier to grow a following and oh my god you you can post one video and it can change your life and especially now with the ability to just kind of create a personal brand around anything any niche can thrive there all demographics are on there it really can change your career change my career um yeah. I help it i help my clients with tiktok to help them change their careers so yeah the potential and the possibilities with it are huge yeah did you uh i guess when you just started making tiktoks did you expect that your stuff would blow up or like did you expect to mimic the results you saw from other people yeah it was def- it was strange so i started um posting when i was on a leave of absence from my job At Google, I was just super burnt out and unhappy, and I was just looking for some sort of creative outlet. Um, And I also kind of in the back of my mind was like, I feel like this could be something. Like, I I was like, let's just start posting. I really didn't have any expectations. Um, I definitely didn't blow up right away. It was a lot of consistent, high-value content creation, and then it finally started to gain traction. Um, but honestly, I had no idea that it would turn into what it has. And not that I'm like some huge creator <laughs> by any means, but even with, um, I'm almost at like 70,000 followers now, even with that size audience, and I don't mean to like make that seem like it's nothing. That definitely is a sizable audience, right? Um, even with that, it's completely changed. Like we said earlier, my career, um, everything so i didn't expect uh it to yeah out the way it did yeah and it's, it's pretty wild too like the whole concept of 15 to 30 second videos being able to grab somebody's attention and make them do something it's, it's pretty wild um yeah. i think with that you know being said do you edit your own videos and you know that that, that definitely all takes more than 15 seconds right <laughs> it's all me yeah no i am um, i i edit i edit them all i thought about like outsourcing social um at least parts of it I never have so yeah it's all me it definitely takes a little while depending on the video um but it can be quick especially if you're posting these like seven second voiceovers which are doing so well and they're ridiculously easy to film um that's just a little bit of text on screen like you really don't even have to edit it much but yeah it's all me that's that's super impressive I don't I don't think everybody has not every creator does it like edits their own videos right they, they definitely ship it to someone and yeah no, like the that, editing here is like a lot of studios quality 
<laughs> well, I, I actually look at some other people in my niche, um, like uh, Alex James. He's meaningful marketing. He's a copywriter. He's super, super smart. Mm -hmm. um, and I love like just looking at his videos and I saw his performance did a lot better once the quality of the video got better in the editing. Same thing with another creator. It's like just those um, tweaks with the quality in the editing can make a huge difference. Um, so I definitely don't go to the extent of those creators. Like I wish I did not that they're doing anything like massively different. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone has their own process. Some people outsource, some people don't it really just depends on what works best for you. Gotcha. Um, would love to like transition and talking about your career. Uh, if you don't mind, I, so I know you're like a Cornell alum, right. And you majored mm -hmm. in marketing and, uh, found yourself working for Google. Like, uh, can you talk to me like what it was like being at Google and marketing since um, Google's, according to a lot of people, is one of the coolest companies and yada, yada, yeah. yada. <laughs> I mean, so I, um, yeah, so I, I studied applied economics and management and I concentrated in marketing. So I did have um, quite a bit of experience even before Google with marketing. I did, you know, internships and, and other sort of things. But the way that my like marketing really changed a bit for me once I entered Google because marketing for a large corporation is very different from the <laughs> marketing that I was doing for like startups and um, individual business owners, owners, solopreneurs. Um, and so when I went to Google, it was a big, uh, it was a rude awakening, not even just with marketing, but just shifting to the whole corporate world mindset, having a boss. Um, I definitely was super it challenged me a lot at the beginning. My first boss was um, pretty intense. I've had that <laughs> to before. Say the least. <laughs> yes. So we had a very interesting relationship. I had a few really sensitive conversations with her that really rocked my entire world where she was like, you're not meeting my expectations. And I was like, oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> um, and that was really a lot largely due to the fact that like, we would have one-on-ones and she would cancel them because she was a big time director. Sure. Um, and I wouldn't reschedule because I was kind of terrified of her. So we were really misaligned at the beginning. <clears throat> and then I ended up getting put on this end of year campaign, which ended up being the home alone campaign. Oh, so she wanted to put me on a project that was closer to her so that she could see how I worked. And so right before the whole home alone thing happened and exploded, I was like, I'm going to quit. Like my career is um, like doing so poorly. It wasn't really, but it was like a really low point. Like I hadn't really ever received negative feedback sure. from like, I wasn't in sports. My, like I always did well in school. So it was a brute awakening, but I ended up getting to work on the home alone campaign. Um, and that really changed my entire perspective on working um, at Google as a marketer. I got to do some really cool um, brand and influencer campaigns for other teams once I rotated. Um, but yeah, like to your, uh, to your question about, you know, what is it like marketing at Google? It's, it's challenging in the way that for me personally, I love having creative freedom. I want to be able to really leave my stamp on things, drive something and yeah. really have it be my own creation. But at Google, there's so many levels of approvals. There's so much hierarchy. There's a lot of sort of, uh, there's a lot of red tape, legal things. Yeah, I was going to say that, red tape. <laughs> yeah, and that really kind of stifled, in my eyes, 
the excitement around marketing. Don't get me wrong. I had some cool experiences there um, and great marketing experiences, but I didn't love how um, just restrictive it was in terms of just the general freedom sure. you had with marketing. Was a uh, kind of marketing? Was it? I know there's like different types of marketers, right? Like, so there's like, mm-hmm. I guess there's like people who focus on SEO. Was it just everything uh, under marketing that you were working on, or was it so like, I, like creative I was, videos and all that? I stuff? was product and brand, so I did a lot of go to market um, work. I would sort of launch new products to market, figure out what did that marketing strategy look like across all different teams. How did we go to market? Where did we show up online? Um, <laughs> and then I did brand marketing, so like brand campaigns. Um, social media kind of falls into that. So um, things like growth marketing, as an example, or SEO, I didn't do much of. I did a little bit. I managed um, our Google Assistant website when I was on the assistant team and our digital well-being site when I was on the digital well-being team. Um, so there was some growth marketing SEO stuff there, but largely it was more product marketing, brand marketing, bringing things to market and sort of building awareness for sure. different products. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to go back to the point where you're saying like, you're having a difficult time, I guess, acclimating to, you know, corporate culture. I think Google is interesting since like, I, I kind of was a contractor there too, like back in 2018 or something like that. And oh, cool. um, what I noticed was, uh, yeah, like you can have a harsh boss, but then like the environment's like free food and free gyms <laughs> and free bus. And you're just confused. I, I felt like kind of confused. I was like, I like one part of this, but then I don't like the other part of this. What do I do? Um, when you kind of, I guess, had to make a decision to leave and make your own career, um, was that something you were doing on for a long time? And kind of how did, you know, you eventually make that leap since uh, it's one that a lot of people are doing nowadays? Yeah, with the Great Recession, definitely. So I um, it, I hadn't really thought about leaving Google um, there was a period of time, I think, before COVID, like right before COVID, I wasn't, I had to, my teams got changed because the broader team I was on was deprioritized. So my boss changed, the nature of my role changed quite a bit, and I didn't really love the work I was doing. And so at that point, I started to like apply to other companies. I was just like putting yeah. out feelers. <laughs> didn't really hear back from like most places. I was kind of like, hmm, Happens to me. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and now it's funny now that I'm like, I work for myself, all these companies that I wanted to work for are now reaching out to me with these cool roles. And I'm like, stop tempting me. (laughs) But, um, I, I ended up sort of really starting to consider it in August of 2020. I had to take a leave of absence, like I had mentioned, because I was just, I ran myself into the ground. Um, because I was working on stuff that was so just like unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. I have ADHD. So like to get my, I have to be interested in the work I'm doing. And when I'm not interested in the work I'm doing, it takes a huge toll on me, like mentally, physically. So in August, when I took that leave of absence, my body was like broken down. Like I was like really a wreck. My relationships were um, affected by it. I was just not myself. My mood was affected. So at that point, the wheels started turning. I was like, okay, something's got to change. Um, I considered going back to Google, changing teams, but ultimately after a lot of like reflection and inner work, I figured out that like the core parts of my personality, what I valued, how I worked just did not align with the corporate culture beyond just Google. It was really, I had these, um, things that I needed, like as an example with ADHD, I need to have a much more like free 
schedule. I want to be able to sort of like wake up when I want. I don't want to have to report to a boss. I don't like to really work for people. Um, (laughs) And so that was, that was a big part of it, but ultimately um, it was a slow process. I didn't end up quitting until February of 2021. So I had a leave of absence for about five months. I went back in January. I kind of gave it a little bit of a shot in January, but I knew I was going to quit in February, but I was like, let me go back for a month close out these relationships end on a good note. And um, that's sort of the process, but it was a long one. It wasn't easy by any means. um, And it wasn't a quick decision. For for sure. How do you, I guess, kind of compare and contrast, uh, you know, being your own boss right now, right? With uh, making TikToks and coaching entrepreneurs to that structured environment, which maybe isn't structured the best uh, in in my opinion, anyways, or a lot of people's opinions um, to to kind of just managing your own, uh, routine with with uh, you know your current pursuits. Yeah, it's um it's interesting. It's like a blessing and a curse um, because with ADHD you kind of need routine and structure, and so having that in a career can help. But at the same time, I also don't like too much routine and structure. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's been like it's been an adjustment. I think I've been trying to find a balance between like discipline, but also making space for well-being and waking up later if I need to, you know, changing my schedule um, if I have to, and really uh, like um, being mindful of my body um, and my mental state and being like, okay, is this the best time for me to do this certain thing? If not, let me reshape um, my schedule and, and what I'm working on. And so I've had a hard time sort of finding that balance between, like I said, the discipline and also like being kind to myself, managing my well-being. Because when I quit Google, I really prioritized my mental and physical health above everything else. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about building a business as quickly as possible. It was like, how can I really just acclimate into entrepreneurship and go um, easy on myself at the beginning, let it kind of be a slow burn. Um, and so trying to you know, be disciplined around deadlines and figuring sure. out how to prioritize <laughs> it's challenging. Um, and it's something that that's like kind of the one thing I miss about corporate world is like having that accountability, having that person to do that sort of structure for you. But at the yeah. same time, I also love it because I have the freedom. Yeah. I was, I was thinking to myself the other day, like I make these podcast episodes, right. And I'm like, well, I should be editing this, but I don't feel like it. And then like, am I lazy? <laughs> you know, like, am I, am I lazy or am I just yeah. tired? And it's hard to do def- like, understand mm-hmm. which it what which one it is and then <laughs> yes i relate then, to that a lot and like am i burnt out or like do i need to take a vacation <laughs> what is yes. going on? it's so um, true that's why i'm i'm really big on um sort of like mindful practices so you can figure out is this something that is like a burnout issue or hmm. am i being lazy so like every morning i i'll meditate and then i journal so i'm like okay what's going on in my headspace right now if there's anything getting kind of like making it a little bit murky yeah. there. I put it down on a piece of paper and try to figure it out because it's difficult. Um, and I think especially now, and I actually just made a TikTok about this because you know how Kim Kardashian made that video that was like, no one wants to work these days. And that really pissed me <laughs> off. I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> and, it, it's, it's, and the way I think about it is like, it's not that we don't want to work, but we are all, I think, reprioritizing yeah. um, 
things like our mental and physical health, whereas we used to all just kind of run ourselves into the ground and that was our MO. We're all being like, you know what? Maybe it's okay to give myself a little bit extra exactly. time. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's re- like reprogramming. That mindset is hard because we've been so accustomed to this like corporate capitalistic. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people are going back to, I guess, the office, right? With kind of the pandemic dwindling. And uh, I was yeah. thinking to myself, how did I ever end up taking a subway and getting into a building on time <laughs> right? looking like I was working at least uh, in front of my peers. Like, how did that even happen now? I can't, I, I, I don't know how that, that would even be possible. I know. And the amount of time that we would give up just in commuting and the oh, amount yeah. of money we spent on like meals and, and again, commuting, like it's huge. And I, I could never go back to the life that I had even though I only walk to work usually when I was, um, I mostly worked out of our San Francisco office and I could walk, but like taking the Google bus to Mountain View when I had to. Hour plus, right? Brutal. Freaking (laughs) brutal. Like I could never do that again. Yeah, no, I'm like, yeah, but when I think of that, it's like, well, it wasn't that hard. I just got in a bus, but then it's like, oh, actually it's kind of hard because there's like some emotions that I deal with on these rides. (laughs) Yeah, right. You kind of get super reflective. And yeah, it's just going back to that. I think it's it's not hard necessarily doing it and then getting on the bus. It's hard reshaping all of those expectations and the norms that we've yeah, created. Habit, habits, for and sure. And the habits. Like, that's what would be really hard for me personally. And I feel like for you too, it sounds like. I, I was. I had a previous guest here. He was a, he's a professor at Stanford and has his own company. He was talking about how Facebook and I guess big tech was sort of like acknowledging some of the side effects that their technology has like um it's really simple to get food delivered nowadays you're like it's really simple to um just do everything from our fingertips and it's kind of he was saying it hasn't made us lazier but it's made us like want more efficient means of doing things but mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't think you know you or i or the generation's lazy it's just that we have so much options that we always cho- want the easiest way just naturally, but we didn't really program ourselves to do that. So that's a good point. Yeah. Crazy like to think. Now getting on a Google bus to, for like a one and a half hour commute seems like an enormous waste of time. <laughs> but like, we didn't really think about that as much before all of the, the societal shifts that we've really experienced. I, I was, uh, I guess, looking at one of your other podcasts and you were ta- talking about how the subconscious mind is like 90% of our thoughts. Can you, I guess, talk about that and like what you know about that. Yeah, I love all that mindset stuff. So yeah, I mean, I think what what you were referring to is, well, I think 90 or so percent of our day is run by our subconscious mind. So (laughs) we're only consciously working towards our goals and really putting in conscious effort towards things for 5% of the day. And 95% of our thoughts are the same. And so our mind and our lives are largely ruled by our subconscious mind we kind of think the same thoughts we go through the same patterns we've established these sort of like neural pathways in our brain because we've done the same things over and over and so to reprogram all of that and to change you know your belief systems your subconscious because your subconscious is the key to everything it's the key to your success if you can reprogram your subconscious for success um it's it's super impactful but to actually do that is really difficult because you have to start 
feeling into a new version of yourself into a new future before it actually exists. So you kind of have to change your inner state in order to change your outer states. You have to do things like reprogramming your subconscious with like some um, uh, visualization, meditation, et cetera, affirmations. Um, But it's difficult because like I said, 95% of our day is ruled by our subconscious and they're all basically the same. So to reprogram that takes a lot of effort and time, but it can really unlock a lot of potential for people. I mean, if, if you've done this in, in your own experience, uh, what exactly have you seen change the most? And I do agree with you. Yeah. That uh, we do need to, in, in a lot of times I need to, I guess, change the way we think about um, these, these mini tasks that we have or like these big goals that we have. Because they, yeah. be, they can be pretty intimidating, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, for, <laughs> me, for me personally, I've definitely done a lot of this work. I was really big on it, especially when I was on that leave of absence. And I was trying to figure out, like, what was important to me? How can I get back to this kind of, like, homeostasis? Um, but I think the biggest things that have changed within me with this uh, subconscious reprogramming is really just, like, my beliefs about myself, expectations. I have done so much work to reprogram all of these really negative sort of patterns that I had accumulated being such a high achiever my whole life. Like my worth was my achievements. I was Cornell. I was Google. That was me. Like that was my identity. Um, And so my productivity was equal to my worth. Um, If I wasn't actively working and I, you know, was in like a nine to five time or even not even like even on the week weekends, I would have this like guilt bubble up. I always felt like I wasn't, I didn't have enough time. I'm always behind time. So all of those beliefs, I've really rewired a lot into kind of being more um, content with just being, not necessarily doing and feeling like I'm enough without, despite whatever achievements and and sort of what my productivity looks like for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been the biggest shift for me personally. And that obviously will then ripple out into other aspects of your life and impact your career, your relationships, et cetera. Yeah, no, I, I can tell that, uh, yeah, that, that's such like a big, big thing that, you know, it kind of needs to be done sometimes just yeah. with uh, how, how people approach their goals. It's, it's kind of wild. Especially um, when you're shifting from, you know, corporate to entrepreneurship, like you, that kind of work needs to happen in, in terms of just sort of getting, your mind's in that more entrepreneurial mode because our corporate, the way we've been like kind of mm-hmm. um, raised in the corporate world is really not as conducive to the entrepreneurial world. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with you there. Uh, I also like kind of was listening to you on another show and you're talking about having an entrepreneur coach or like an entrepreneur mentor. Mm-hmm. Did you um, make, seek that out or did that just kind of happen organically? And yeah. Yeah. So, but- How's that going? Yeah, before I quit in February, so around like December, when I was on that leave, I was like, all right, I need to start figuring out how I knew I wanted to go into entrepreneurship, I figured out that I liked coaching. And like, these were the areas marketing, branding mindset, but I didn't know how to necessarily like manifest that into reality. So I did a couple of things. First was I reached out to a professor from Cornell. She was my entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial marketing and strategy professor, um, Deb Streeter, literally one of my favorite professors ever. She's amazing. I told her, I was like, look, I'm looking for a business coach so that I can do these things and shift um, out of, you know, corporate world. And 
I was like, do you have any recommendations? Because there's a lot of sort of snake oil salesmen in the business coaching yeah. <laughs> industry. Um, and she's like, no, but I do sort of run this program with Bank of America Cornell. It's a free woman's entrepreneurship program. It's 10, 12 weeks. Um, it's all online. And she got me into it, which was, which was great. Um, and then in parallel, I was still looking for a business coach and I found Jess Glazer, who is amazing. She has her 12 week signature program in power, which basically helps you build a group coaching program. Um, so I oh, worked cool. with her and she was the key to this pivot really. I mean, and also the, the entrepreneurship program, but I think if you are trying to make such a big shift, like finding those coaches who've done what you're trying to do surrounding yourself with other people who have done what you're trying to do that's why group coaching containers are great because you have other peers that are going through the same things that's really uh impactful on your success and how easily you can make that transition no yeah that's that's interesting how you kind of found a coach i think um not not too many people are too vocal about like having a coach who would guide you along the journey and seem like i think like with entrepreneurship it just seems like it's it's all uh, one person or two people but uh people don't want to ask for help and they feel like they feel like if oh if i'm investing in this coach um like they think they're losing money but in reality you're saving money because coaches (laughs) will collapse time for you um and that's the real value is how can i get from point a to point b much quicker and with less headache when you do something on your own you have to kind of go you have to fall and stumble um so coaches are i'm i'm such a big advocate for coaches sure. not, not because i am a coach but just because i've had coaches and i've seen the impact but yeah i think people have a hard time asking for help and getting over that mental block of investing in themselves because that's what it is when you're hiring mm-hmm. a multi uh four-figure coach you're investing in yourself and that's scary for a lot of people because they're like well what if this doesn't work out what if i'm not what if i don't meet my expectations what if i lose my investment um and that's actually a really big mental block that a lot of clients have with any kind of coach yeah yeah do you mind talking to us i guess like about your coaching experience or like your professional what do you call it your i guess how, how would you phrase that like just your experience as a professional coach or like Oh, so me, me yeah, as a coach or my coaching? To, uh, you, you as a coach, just wanted to hear like what, what that is like exactly. Yeah, that's been super, um, it's been an interesting shift because I didn't have any professional coaching experience or licensing in coaching. Um, and I remember before I even started, when I was just thinking about group coaching, um, I was like, how could I be a coach? Like that seems so big and scary, but it actually was something that I just fell into very naturally because I, that's just sort of my natural style with my friends, with my family. I've kind of always been a coach in a way. Um, and so it, it wasn't as if, you know, I did any major certifications. I didn't do any, but I think being a coach, being a good coach is not necessarily about your certifications, but it's about, can you kind of have you made a transformation for yourself? Can you help others make the same transformation? Are you enough of an expert? Do you enjoy what you're teaching enough? All of those things combined can really make you successful despite the kind of training that you've had. But I think coaches need to be very sort of, they have to be very sort of empathetic in a way because as a coach, you don't want to just give your clients all the answers. You kind of have to meet them where they are, number one, and every client's going to be at a different space, and then adapt your solutions accordingly and help them get to the solution as opposed to just giving them all the answers. That's a teacher. A coach 
is like, let me help you get there yourself by supporting you, assisting you. And so that's something that um, I think I've always been good at, which is why I think coaching kind of became very natural for me. Um, and I think that's a really just big pillar of any coach is how can I really empathize with my client, meet them where they are and help them get to where they are and figure out how to get there themselves, you know, like teach a man to fish sort of thing um, <laughs> sure, as opposed sure. to just giving them all the answers. No. Yeah. I think the saying goes like teach a man to fish, then they can eat for the rest of the life or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, it's kind of like my mom with cooking. Like if I never learned, but uh, teaching, (laughs) (laughs) teaching, teaching somebody to, or just make doing it for them. They they would never figure it out, but yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Um, With that being said, like how does the, I guess the TikTok, do you, do you spend ads on TikTok and like, how does that part of your business accelerate the the coaching and services part of it yeah no i don't i don't spend any money on ads um i ran an ad once (laughs) um but that was because i was working with a partner who wanted me to promote their thing and so i was like okay i'm gonna run an ad with your thing um but no otherwise it's all organic so um tiktok really is sort of like the top of the funnel for me when Uh you think about any sort of business really, um, you want to get people into, and this is really like the core of marketing, right? Like the top of the funnel is awareness, then you move into consideration and intent purchase. So the top of the funnel is where you have to get the most people in. Um, And this is where people may not even know you yet, or they have a very vague understanding of you. So that's how TikTok comes into play because it has big reach and you're getting a lot of people in your funnel. Um, and then you move them down the funnel with things like the link in your bio with calls to action and end your videos. Like, Hey, if you want to be a part of my new coaching program, oh, sure. DM me. So that's really where TikTok comes into play is how can I get more people in the top of the funnel so I can then move them down the funnel and convert them into clients and customers. Yeah, no, that's, that's super helpful information. Um, when you were like creating, when you were just beginning your journey as a TikToker, did you, I mean, were you always comfortable like in front of the camera making these videos? Because uh, I don't know, like, I, I mean, a lot of people do. And I, I, I use TikTok for entertainment or uh, trying to make videos now. Um, but oh, good, good. it doesn't seem like anyone can naturally be good at getting a 50, I don't know, just like super engaging posts. Like, it seems like the, yeah, I remember when Instagram was created and people were just trying to uh make viral content like that seemed really difficult but i think like you know with you and your niche that's that's kind of what you help um manifest so like yeah it's it's more than cloud chasing i guess it's more like just going and doing growing a personal brand yeah it's growing <laughs> making yourself known my, for something yeah my, my friend my, my friend jonathan i had him on the podcast i went to college with him too and he's like the number one dude for um career advice i mean maybe you've seen those one tolting videos but what's his uh, last name it's uh javier but it's it's one tolting with and you replace consulting with the w it's, it's one of those uh here's tips for landing your dream job type of thing okay it, it was crazy just to see how you know looks like we talked earlier like five second videos can change not only your life, but other people's lives. It's, it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Did you, when did you get comfortable making videos or I guess being a content creator? It's a good question. And I think it's a big block for a lot of people is they feel really uncomfortable. It feels super unnatural. I, at the beginning, 
I was so uncomfortable. I still remember the first videos I filmed because I, I was so stressed about it, like sure. really, really <laughs> anxious and stressed. And if you go back to like my old, old videos, you'll, you'll see like I have trouble making eye contact. Like I would look away from the camera because I oh felt awkward. Um, and so it definitely was, it, it took a little bit of time, but once you get into the flow and the rhythm of it, it gets so much easier. You have to just move through that initial discomfort and feeling like, beep, 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 I don't know how to operate. <laughs> just like really awkward. <laughs> Everyone has that. I mean, obviously there are more extroverted people um, who can more easily flow into the like uh, content creation and being natural, but um, everyone goes through that sort of uh, learning curve, if you will. And I definitely did. So um, it just takes practice and doing it regardless of how it makes you feel. Yeah, I, th I think so too. Like me, I forget I even have a podcast sometimes and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I made 50 plus episodes with people and there's audio on Spotify about this. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. But I'm like, the getting getting used to the, the, the what do you call that? Um, uh, no, the, the video part is, is definitely, I guess, more challenging than voice sometimes. But yeah. Um, you know, I like, I think, I, I don't know, I got here 50 plus people, not, not by magic, by like, just, yeah. just, just doing it. And I think you know, that proves your point about um, repetition and, and uh, just accelerating growth like that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, one, one more thing that I found interesting about like what you kind of posted was like, you were talking about the emotional cycle of change. Mm. If, you, if that rings a bell. Um, yeah, for sure. I, th I think, I think, I think all this stuff is just so new for i guess people who want to be content creators mm -hmm. um and emotions like they play a big uh what do you call that like a big impact in, in how you do this stuff like yeah i guess just can we hear about the emotional cycle change and like, <laughs> yeah no i love that? i love talking about that um so basically the emotional cycle of change is just a natural pro um sort of like process that we all go through when we start something new um, so the first phase is all about uninformed optimism. So you don't really know what you don't know. You're excited about your new project. You have all this motivation because it's new. So you kind of have this like inflated view of what it really will be. <laughs> you're kind of in this like honeymoon phase. Everything is exciting. You see the possibilities. If you're a content creator, you see like, wow, these people grew an audience of 100,000 followers in three yeah. months, which by the way, not many people do, but you kind of have this, this dream, the possibility you're excited. Over time, you move down into this period of um, informed pessimism, I think it is, Wait, uninformed optimism, informed pessimism. I think it's informed pessimism next, but basically you're now starting to know more about the whole new yeah. thing you're doing, right? You're becoming more acquainted with it. You're running into new challenges. You're starting to say, oh, I didn't realize this thing um, would kind of make, you know, X, Y, Z happen. And now you're, it's a little bit more, you have more understanding of what it entails. And so you're becoming a little bit pessimistic <laughs> about the process. You're losing a little bit of steam, a little bit of excitement, motivation. And then you hit the valley of despair, which is everyone hits this at some point when you kind of work through any sort of new project or undertaking. This is like the peak or sorry, the valley of um, just disappointment, depression, feeling like this isn't going to work. You want to give up. You're just the, it, the cycle feels too long and you're just this is where most people give up. And so where if you think about like if you were to visualize the emotional cycle of change looks sort, sort of like um, a bell. So it's mm -hmm. like. 
Um, I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but at the bottom, a lot of people will give up right there and then they'll start something new. So then they get stuck in that loop, right? Of this informed, uninformed optimism, informed pessimism, valley of despair, give up, start something new, stay stuck. But if you push through the valley of despair, um, you make it to this phase of, I think it's informed optimism, where you know what you, you kind of know the process, you're moving through the struggles, um, things are getting easier, you're making progress, you're having results. And then finally, you kind of hit your goal, you have that success, but you have to be willing to move through all the challenges, the despair, the feeling like it's not going to work out. And that will happen with any new undertaking. Sure. And so it's just inevitable. But I think being aware of what that process looks like can help you move through it because you at least know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and it's no, normal that's... to feel like completely distraught about it, like in that valley of despair, like it's totally normal. So I think that helps. Yeah, yeah. I think like um, with entrepreneurship, it's it's normal to fail, and absolutely, if you're not failing, then you're probably not growing and not learning. Yeah. So you'll fail it's, a lot. It's a harsh <laughs> truth to accept. <laughs> yeah. Like, or maybe not so harsh, but like hard to believe at the same time. Just I think school and everything we learned up until like kind of these, I guess, last couple of years, right? It was more like um, you know, you you study and you get good grades, or like you graduate school and you get a good job, or but I think like with entrepreneurship, it's a wild west where you don't need any of those things necessarily. And like you, your own efforts are um, determining what, what really happens. So it's, it's pretty hard to, hard to believe, but pretty cool. So yeah. Yeah. What well, one of a couple more things here, Steph, before uh, we get into like the last segment of the podcast is uh, what do you think like going into the, what you're just speaking about, like, what do you think made you push through when there were those valley of despair moments or. Yeah, and I think that what the psych, the emotional cycle of change, like it kind of oversimplifies the actual experience. I think you'll have many valleys of despair. I feel like there's a lot of mini emotional cycles within the broader one. So I've had plenty of moments of failure, of doubt. Um, And honestly, some of the biggest ways that I push through, um, number one is sort of just my spirituality has helped and kind of reconnecting with like my higher self and my relationship with spirit which is very like not everyone has that so it's like kind of Mm -hmm. it's i can't that's not something that everyone can just apply but that's a big thing for me is like kind of trying to tap into that side of myself but also (laughs) um the mindset stuff is how i get through it i mean like taking a walk if i'm feeling like completely depressed and down and creating some separation between my work and my life when things aren't working out and making space to, again, like meditate, journal, um, really just being mindful of what your mindset is and how to, and always kind of working on it. And, and because it's like, it's not like, oh, you develop an entrepreneurial mindset and then you're set. It's like always requires work um, and sort of refining things. And that's been probably like not spiritual is probably number two, but number one is like the mindset stuff, making sure I'm taking care of my body and like my mind my spirit and that helps me move through it but also just kind of keeping your end goal in mind like visualization is a great way to do this as well it's like what does your ideal life look like at the end of this what does it feel like how do you envision your life will actually like what really get into the details and when you can visualize that it does help you move through it as well because you're kind of seeing why am i doing this what am i doing it for Um, And then finally, I think the other thing that helps me is just like knowing my why, 
this is something I work with my clients on a lot at the beginning of our um, of Roadmap mm-hmm. to Rise, where I help people build their personal brands. The first module is all about mindset and figuring out like part of it is what's what is your why? Why are you doing this? Like what are the emotional core? Um, what is the emotional core of like your drive or your motivations? And for me, it's like this freedom, this impact, this autonomy um, that I can't really get from the corporate world. So that all kind of contributes to me being able to push through. Wow. Yeah, no, I think this is like the deepest we've gotten into these mindsets, like in, in this whole podcast. I love it's mindsets. Crazy. It's crazy. Like I'm, I'm going to need a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of mind numbing. Like, I got to ask you, like, do you, do you like being an entrepreneur more or like working at Google with all the free food or how, like, no, I, yeah. I don't miss the free food, honestly. Like I, uh, that, that kind of was hard for me to have like free <laughs> food all the time everywhere. Like I, my diet wasn't great. Sure. I, I don't know. Cause you always have to exercise self-control if you're presented with food all the time. So I definitely don't miss that, but no, I much prefer entrepreneurship. I'm so, so much happier, so much healthier, so much more myself. I just feel so uh, much more aligned. That's not to say I'll never go back to the corporate world. I, like sure. like I mentioned earlier, there's some people working <laughs> out with jobs where I'm like, that seems pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I thought about maybe doing fractional work where you're like part-time co- corporate and then you can do your side hustle or whatever. But no, I, I really don't miss much of corporate world. I, I, I love being an entrepreneur despite how challenging it is. That's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear. I think uh, people don't... Um, I don't, I don't know. Like people don't hype. I, I mean, entrepreneurship just seems like, I guess. There's a lot like of some, hype around yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like my friend, he, uh, he's an entrepreneur and he was saying like, yeah, when I started this, like this wasn't like Wolf of Wall Street vibes or like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> fancy cars or anything, but I definitely do say that like me having a podcast is more fulfilling than I think a lot of the other work I've done in my, my background. So I, I can, yeah. I can, uh, what do you call that? What's that word? Um, Relate. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Um, we're coming here toward like the end of the podcast. Uh, just one more quick, like one, really a couple more. Uh, what are your thoughts on like the content creator economy on a whole, just since it's new and mm-hmm. kind of daunting and I don't know, just a new economy. That's it's hard to explain. I think it's awesome. I mean, there's so much um, opportunity here. I think if you want to be, build a personal brand, start by creating content, put yourself out there. Like, you can get, you can make a lot of money through brand deals. Partners will reach out to you. So I think content creation has opened up a huge uh, um, door, window of opportunity for people. But at the same time, this is kind of the like same thing with like how you know when Facebook started, everyone was on there, and then it got mature, and then you're like, oh, only grandmas <laughs> are here. Like I don't want to be on Facebook. Same thing yeah. is going to happen with TikTok. Not to say that like grandmas are going to take over TikTok, but <laughs> as it matures, more people are going to get on the platform. More people are creating content, and the more content that's out there, the more competition that will um, that you'll run into. So your videos are not going to have the same amount of organic reach that they used to. You're going to have to work harder. So get in on it now. Like if you're the if you're a person who's considering it, you're kind of just like this could be cool. Just start creating content. You never know sort of where. Um, it'll land you whether you're going to be posting um, for brands and do brand deals, make money there. If you want to launch an entire company off of it, which is what I did at first. Um, There's so much that you can do with content creation and the creator economy, a lot of money to be made. Um, It opens up opportunities with podcasts and (laughs) media features. I mean, really it just, it gets your name out there. And the more you can kind of 
expose yourself to new audiences and get more eyeballs on you, the more opportunities that will naturally come. So I would say if you're thinking about it, just get started. Don't keep sitting on it because this uh, window of opportunity is going to close faster than I think we are all expecting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think like with the pandemic kind of coming toward an end, at least where I live, it seems like, um, what's it called? I don't know. Like, I feel like a new life is or a new chapter of life is coming about for, for me, just since we don't like need to wear masks anymore. And like one, sorry, there's like somebody upstairs. Uh, one, one or two more things here is, or I promise, um, is uh, what, what books, what books um, or like resources inspired you to become an entrepreneur or get, get um, your hands dirty here? I would say think and grow rich was a big one. Um, is that Napoleon Hill, right? Yes. That was a big one just because of the whole mindset shift around like cutting out your safety net and really just having there be that like urgency. That was a big factor for me and just kind of quitting because that's that was a big part of the book, which is like you kind of have to yeah, like set goals, obviously make them very tangible, make them time bound, but then cut out the safety net and just go all in, like make it your like you succeed or you fail because <laughs> you have that creates a lot of motivation and discipline when you sort of don't have other options. That's obviously not the best approach for everyone and be smart about your financial situation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big one. I'm looking over my books over there. Honestly, um, I would say the biggest influence was less so books and more so um, just talking with like yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah who are entrepreneurs and seeing the potential of like the lives I could have. Um, right. Yeah. No, I love that. I love the answer. Somebody else also mentioned that book. So I'm gonna have to check yeah. it out. I'm definitely missing some, but yeah. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to Steph who was a 20 year old at Cornell university? Um, if you were able to do that and That's go back in time. Um, gosh, <laughs> I would probably just tell her to not be so hard on herself, not put so much pressure on because I really put like, again, back to my value was my productivity and my achievements. And so um, if I could just say like, you know what, none of this is really going to matter anyways. (laughs) Like I didn't have to go to Cornell (laughs) to get to where I am. Like I really didn't. Um, Not all that marketing stuff they taught you or like that business stuff? No, no. I mean, that didn't help obviously, but I could have learned it like elsewhere i think you learn the most practical marketing in the field by just doing it like i've learned more about marketing um in the last you know year and a half than i did probably actually i don't know if that's true but you know know, know it's partially true it's partially true true. (laughs) don't be so hard on yourself don't take things so seriously um enjoy it while it lasts because college is just like four years of summer camp basically (laughs) hilarious yeah no I, i i can I feel you. I can relate. Um, last last question here is, if you were to describe in your own words your own startup mindset, what would that be? Um, my mindset is really around maintaining gratitude no matter really what is going on around me, both in my business and in my personal life, so that I can sort of keep that. That's a big part of my mindset work as well, just daily gratitude, Um, releasing expectations and kind of just being willing to pivot if needed. Um, And also (laughs) just uh, being 
again, kind to myself and really just trying to like, if things aren't working well and I'm not seeing success with something, not beating myself up about it because that's just the game. So yeah, release expectations, really take care of your mental and physical health. Um, yeah. Gotcha. I forgot the other part. <laughs> no, that's not great. Um, well, that, that kind of does it for the podcast, but Steph, how can you, I mean, how can people find you and yeah, I guess also how can people get in touch with you or anything you want to plug in, in that yeah, so i you can find me on instagram and tiktok steph.pinsley s-t-e-f dot p-i-n-s-l-e-y um you can also email me steph at roadmap to rise.com um roadmap to rise is my signature um it used to be a group coaching program but now it is <laughs> a digital course self-paced to help you build your personal brand walks you through like i said mindset to um, finding your niche, getting into building your social media presence, your building content, growing an email list, et cetera. Um, so those are really the biggest ways that you can work with me. But again, always feel free to email me or DM me. Um, I have other ways of working with me as well. So yeah, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Wow. Steph, it's been a real great conversation here. Thanks for yeah. coming on. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. I really appreciate it.